As uh, Pastor Randy said, Pastor Bart is not here, so I um, get the privilege of speaking to you today. When they asked me this about two or three weeks ago, if I, as I was up for praying, for praying, for preaching, the main concern is that um, my wife is nine months pregnant and the baby could come anytime in the last week of this week. So the question was, is Jason going to be here to preach? And um, Randy was uh, on standby in case I didn't get to. Matter of fact, last night about 10 o'clock, I sent Randy a text and said the baby was here um, just to stress him out a little bit. <coughs> <clears throat> he responded that that's not nice. But um, matter of fact, Mark, his due date for his wife is, and their baby is one day after ours. So we're in a race to see who can get the baby out first. And obviously there's no baby for either of us because we are both here. So if you don't see me next week, you'll know it's because we had the baby. Uh, my son, who is not a prophet, told my wife last night that he thinks it'll be in December before the baby's born. The problem is he still doesn't know his month, so I'm glad he didn't say January, February. He also told my wife the other day, while I was, uh, yesterday, matter of fact, I was uh, practicing telling her a couple of things I want to speak on. When I finished, he said, Mom, he sounds like a real church man. <laughs> today we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to really talk about the issue of prayer today. Um, this past Sunday night was family night of worship. And for those who were able to be a part of that, it was an amazing time. Um, we had worship. We had communion. We had baptism. And um, we even got to license our children's minister of the ministry, which is great. And then we had a time that wasn't even scheduled or planned. But we had a time of prayer for Linda and Dan Smith's family. And um, let me just tell you, it was an amazing time. It, it was one of those times that... Um, as a church, we came together, and it was great prayer. It was, as we'll talk about today, laborish prayer. It was amazing. Um, the next family night of worship, by the way, is in February. And though our goal is never to recreate what God did, we're always expecting God to do great things. Um, so I'm going to invite you to that now. Five young college students were spending a Sunday in London, so they went to hear the famed C.H. Spurgeon preach. While waiting for the doors to open, the students were greeted by a man who asked, Gentlemen, let me show you around. Would you like to see the heating plan of this church? They were not particularly interested, for it was a hot day in July. But they didn't want to offend the stranger, so they consented. The young men were taken down a stairway, a door was quietly opened, and the guide whispered, This is our heating plan. Surprise, the students saw 700 people bowed in prayer seeking a blessing on the service that was soon to begin and in the, in the auditorium above. Softly closing the door, the gentleman then introduced himself. It was none other than Charles Spurgeon. I, I love that he called it the, the, the heating plant of the church. Um, just a wonderful thing to know that people are behind the scenes praying. EVC started about a month ago um, prayer rooms. And we have people in it, and they started 8.20, before, 10 minutes before the first service. And they pray through first service, they pray through this service, and they pray through the last service. And about 10 minutes after the last service is over. And they pray for you, they pray for us on stage, they pray for God's will, His word to be heard. It's, it's, it's a wonderful thing to know that's going on. It, it, matter of fact, it's in your worship guide. If you want to see the room numbers, so you want to join them, or you want to ask for prayer at any time, it's a great place to go in. We're going to look at Ephesians 6, like I said. I'm going to read through the whole passage real quick, even though you know it. 
You've heard it a lot of times, but I'm going to read it. And then we're going to go back and we're going to break it down. Ephesians 6, talking about the armor of God, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And as for shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Verse 16. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that the words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Those last couple of verses should be the prayer of a pastor all the time to this congregation, and you should pray that for all your pastors and for one another. You are all ministers of the gospel who need to proclaim boldly. Paul was never um, ordained or licensed into the ministry, but he was a, an ambassador of God. Verse 10, let's break this down. Finally, verse 10 sets the tone for the whole passage. Be strong in the Lord. Not say go and work out and build up your strength. Be strong. He says be strong in the Lord. In the strength of his might, not ours. Verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand, notice that word stand, against the schemes of the devil. Satan's schemes are many, guys. We've got to be prepared. Here we go. For we do not wrestle, in verse 12, against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. A lot of pastors really like to skip that part of Scripture because we don't really want to talk about all those, uh, you know, spiritual things, uh, the cosmics, uh, all that kind of stuff. We're not going to dive too deep in this, but let me tell you what. Satan loves two things. He loves for the people who say, well, that's Old Testament or the New Testament at the beginning when the church first started, but it doesn't go on anymore. It's, it's non-existent, okay? That's the first approach. It's not real. We're going to ignore it. Eh, don't see it. You know, like your little kids. I can't see you. You can't see me. It doesn't happen that way. The second thing is he loves and people over here and everything has a demon behind it. My car broke down because a demon was inside of it. I ran out of gas because a demon was in my tank. No, you forgot to put gas in the tank. I burned the food that I was cooking for these people over here because a demon was in it. No, you turned the oven at 450 and you forgot about it. So he wants us on either side because he has a whole lot more control of us when we're either thinking it's everything or absolutely nothing. But there's a healthy middle. Look at this. In, um, you don't have to flip there, but in Daniel 10... Uh, there's, a, there's a passage in Daniel 10 that we get what we call the Daniel fast. 
um, where uh, you don't eat meat, uh, have any delicacies or, or any spice or seasoning with your food. And, and this usually lasts for 21 days. It came straight from Daniel, who he does what we call the Daniel fast. Um, he gets to a point that there's anguish in his soul, he says. Um, he, he, he's aching. He's hurting. Uh, and so he goes on this fast. It's a fast of mourning. And, and he's basically crying out to God during this time. And he fasts for three weeks. Well, then comes an angel to him. And the angel, he describes, comes to him. And then and, and in verse, uh, let's see here. I want to start in verse 12. The angel said to Daniel, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before God. Your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. He says, Daniel, take heart. The very first day that you mentioned in your heart this to God, actually the two phrases he says was, you set your heart to understand. This thing that Daniel's seeking to know the will, the mind of God. The second thing he says, you humbled, he humbled himself. His prayers were not proud or selfish. They were out of humility. And what does scripture say? If my people who will humble themselves and pray... There's a humility here that he's talking about. And, and, and so what delayed? He said the very first time that you prayed it, it was heard and I was sent. So what took three weeks to get there? Well, it goes on to say in verse 13, the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me for 21 days. That's how long the fast was, for 21 days. And I was left there with the king of Persia. Oh, sorry, I skipped part. But Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me for I was left there with the king of Persia. He's saying, so God sent the word through me the first time you prayed it. But I got caught up in a spiritual war. This is the angel talking on the way to you. I'm not making this stuff. This is in the Bible, okay? Um, so he says, basically, the prayer and fasting, what it shows us here, is what, what God's talking about. The, our war is not with, um, against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Our prayers, our fasting, and we're not getting to fasting today a whole lot, but our prayers and fasting, they make a difference in the spiritual realm. It's a war that we're in here. And I was describing this to my boys not too long ago. And my oldest seven, who's seven, Caden, he, I told him that we don't fight with, you know, flesh, we fight spiritual. But dad... I don't like that. I want a sword. I want to go kill somebody. That was his response to it. But the Bible says what we do. And, and you know what? Is that not the reality of all of us? We physically want to go do something. We see something going on. We physically want to go take care of it. And God says, you fight your battles on your knees praying to me. We see this from the story of Daniel. I like to look at it as, as um, it's kind of elementary-ish, I know. But I like to look at it as, as, as we're fish in a lake. And we kind of know what's going on with each other. But every once in a while, we see this little drop fishing line come in there, you know, with a hook. So we don't know what's going on. The fish don't know what's going on above the water, right? They just see this little hook. And the only way they know if they get sucked into up there. We, we kind of know it exists, but we don't really know what's going on up there. That's kind of us. We're kind of the fish in the lake there. Just the way I had to look at it to, to make sense of it sometimes. We don't fight with weapons of this world. Second Corinthians 10.4. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh but have divine power to destroy strongholds. How great to know that our prayers can destroy strongholds. Therefore, take up, this is verse 13, Ephesians 6. 
Take up the whole armor of God um, that you may be able to, here we go, withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. I want to make a little point of here about standing. We in the Christian culture have become people who pray well-meaningful prayers that we say, God, as we gather today, bind up the enemy, bind up Satan, bind up the demons as we gather together. Here's the thing. Never in Scripture one time does it tell us that we can or to bind up Satan, the enemies, or the demons. Where it's often taken from is from Matthew 18, 18, which says, Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And that word heaven means sky. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Here's the deal. And we take that scripture. It's in the context of church discipline. And so we're not going to go all the detail. We're not talking about church discipline today. It's in the context of church discipline. Let's put a little common sense to this for just for a minute. If we were able to bind, according to this scripture, Satan and demons, at what point would we ever want to loose them? When do we say, God, would you bind up these demons, bind up all that's going here? Oh, see that people over there, God, just loose them upon them. We don't pray those things because we don't loose these things. If we were to bind up the enemy, why would we want to set them free to be destructive again? The second thing that we see is if we were able to bind Satan and demons, and this is being going on being prayer, being prayed, how long does that binding last? Why are we praying it over and over again? Why can we just not pray that he bind up all demons and then all evil ceases? There's no problem. Why did Jesus himself not bind up Satan and the demons? The Bible tells us over and over again not to bind these things up, but to stand firm. Stand firm. Stand firm in Christ through prayer. Real quick, this is bonus today. Verse 19 of that same chapter in Matthew 18 says, If two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For, there were, uh, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. This is often used for scripture and prayer. It's still in the context of church discipline. What he's saying is in the Old Testament... There were three judges that had to be present when they made the decision and did the discipline, okay? So what he's saying in church discipline, when you do it godly church discipline, if there are two of you who agree on this church discipline, Christ makes the third judge. So where two or more of you have gathered, Christ is there. If we take it out of the context of that, think about this. Where two or more gathered to pray or worship, what does that mean when only one of us is going to worship? The Spirit of God is no longer there? So it's uh, it's on the context of church discipline. Moving on. That was a bonus. San Francisco, 1990. There was a pastor who here from um, the Dallas area. He's not here anymore. Moved on. He went over to San Francisco, rented out their football stadium, busting all these people so they could pray that God would remove the demons from the city. Anybody know anything about San Francisco nowadays? My question is, if they bound up all those demons, why in the world is San Francisco like it is 21 years later? Quick math. Look at that. Um... It, it continually, God tells us to stand firm. Stand firm. First Peter 5, 8, 9 tells us this. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a lion, seeking who he may devour. So what does it say in verse 9? Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Back to Ephesians 6. Verse 14 of Ephesians 6 tells us the same thing again. Stand, therefore, 
And then it goes through the whole process of putting on the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes for your feet, the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Um, In all circumstances, taking the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming darts, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is God's word. These things, guys, come from knowing scripture and knowing who we are in Christ. And let me just tell you this. There is no substitute for this book right here. There's a ton of books and information you can find out about the Bible. But... It never can replace the Bible. If you want to know what the Bible says, go to the Bible and find it. And here's my encouragement to you. Go to the Bible and search scriptures and compare scriptures with scriptures as you should. And if you don't understand something, pray and keep searching it. And then if you come to a, like, okay, okay, this is what I believe the scriptures saying to me. Then go grab your commentary, record it, see if it lines up with what other people are saying. Make sure you're not totally out of whack. The Bible says that we don't need somebody to interpret scriptures for us. We have the Holy Spirit who will do that as long as we take the time to study and pray through it. Verse 18, I love this in Ephesians 6. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. The word used for prayer a lot of times in the Bible means intercession, supplication. It's a plea. Ian bounds. He's described prayer this way. Prayer honors God. It dishonors self. It's a man's plea of weakness, ignorance, of want. A plea which heaven cannot disregard. God delights to have us pray. I told you I'm going to use a lot of scripture. In Luke 18, there's a story that Jesus tells a parable. I love from the very beginning, the Bible tells us what the parable is about. Luke 18, the first verse says... And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and never lose heart. So this is Jesus talking. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused. But afterward, he said to himself, I tell my wife every time I get to that verse, he said to himself, how many times does Pastor Bart say? And I said to myself, self? So that part of the Bible always reminds me of Pastor Bart. So he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. So we have a judge over here who, who in the Old Testament, judges are told in Israel that they are to be the um, um, administrator of justice, that they are to have integrity. They're not supposed to, supposed to accept bribes. They are God's ministers of justice on earth. Okay? This verse says, this judge here, he did not fear God or respect man. If you're not fear God, you're not going to respect it, man, anyway. So he's a, the opposite of this. He's, he's a judge who takes bribes. He, the widow over here, we know she's in the right because what does she say? Give me my justice. So we already know she's in the right. So it's a case that it's not hard for him. He knows it's in the right. What? She's poor. He... It's none of his concern to him. What does the Bible say about widows and orphans? Those are the weak. Those are the um, people that we don't mean as weak, by the way, for any widows in here that you can't do anything. It means that we as believers are supposed to take care of widows. It's commanded in Scripture. Matter of fact, God says, if you deny justice, I will avenge you for it. If you deny justice to the widow or the fatherless. So here's a judge who is denying justice to the widow. When does she get her justice? That she keeps coming continually to him. And the word he uses there is actually like a black eye. Like she's a boxer beating him, beating him, beating him, beating him. He says, okay, I'm going to answer it. 
just because I want her to quit beating me up. Okay? So then we go, Jesus goes on in verse 6. And then the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to the elect, the people of God, who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Matthew Henry looked at this passage, and this is what he said. I love the way he described these two. The widow was a stranger to the judge. We, who are God's, are his own, and he knows and loves us. She was one, but the praying people of God are many. She came to a judge who kept her at a distance. We come to a father who bids us to come boldly. She came to an unjust judge. We come to a righteous father. She had no friend to speak on her behalf. We have an advocate to the Father, Christ Jesus, who makes intercession for us. She had access to the judge only at certain times. We have access to God at any time. I don't want you to mistake in what God's saying here. We don't have to go beat God up over things. He's a righteous, holy God. He hears us the first prayer. He does have us to pray in a persevering way. It changes us. It changes us. And then all of a sudden, what we've been praying will usually start changing and molding look like what God wants. The more we pray, the more we know his heart, the more we pray what he desires. It's not like a a kid who wants to go to Six Flags or begging, please, if I do this, can can we go to Six Flags? God's not like that. We're not throwing little, uh, all the prayers we can, hoping that he catches one of them, that if we hold the right posture, say it the right amount of time, so use the right words, then just maybe, maybe he'll hear our prayer. We're to pray at all times. And verse 18 continues in chapter 6. In Ephesians, it says, to keep that end alert with all perseverance making supplications for all the saints and also for me. And he goes in that prayer of of speaking boldly. You notice something when the, when the apostles were persecuted, do you know what they did? They, they, They got arrested, put in jail. And when they were released the next day, none of them went out and said, my freedom of speech was taken away. I, I was speaking about Jesus. And they took it away. They didn't say, there's no prayer in school. This, this, this country is going way down. Or, or did you see what this person in the government did or this did? Or, or let's go sign a petition. Let's go change the law. You know what they did? They prayed. They prayed. In Acts 4, we read this. Right after they got arrest, arrested and released in Acts 4, listen to their prayer. They said, Sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. We can complain a lot about what's going on. But our battle's not against flesh and blood. It's a spiritual battle. And that's exactly where prayer takes us. It's to be our lifestyle. The, the disciples got an embarrassing um, taste of what this lifestyle or the lack of could really be. Uh, Jesus uh, was brought a boy. Well, they brought a boy to Jesus to be healed. And he wasn't there, so they brought him to his disciples. I uh, 
I love what the Bible says here. Verse 17 of chapter 9 of Mark. You can write down the reference if you want to. And someone from the crowd answered him. He was saying, what are you arguing about? Their group was arguing. He said, teacher, I brought my son to you for this, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out and they were not able. That'd be kind of an embarrassing moment right there. Here you are hanging out with Jesus who you've seen him do the same thing over and over again. You try and nothing happens. And, and so he goes along and, and Jesus asks, how long has it been going on? He said, since birth. And, and he ends up healing him. And there's one amazing thing right before he heals him. Verse 23 of that same chapter says, um, uh, verse 24, immediately the father, because Jesus said he could heal. He, he, the father, you could see a little doubt. I love this part. Immediately the father of the child cried out to Jesus and he said, I believe, but help my unbelief. Believers, that's a great humble prayer even for us. I believe God, but help me in the areas I don't believe. So then he goes on. He heals, casts the demon out. And then I love it. Verse 28. The disciples took Jesus privately and he said, why could we not cast it out? Verse 29. He said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer and some versions add it in fasting. Jesus is not saying to them, guys, when, that, when, that, when they brought that child to you, you guys should have walked and said, hey, we'll be back in three days. We're going to go pray and fast. He's not talking about it. He's talking about a lifestyle of prayer, a lifestyle of fasting that you're already engaging. They've been hanging out with Jesus, but it's the next lesson for them because here's the deal. What Jesus can do with a word, we as his followers can do only through prayer and fasting and allow him to do the works because it's for his glory. It's not for us. It's not for us. The purpose of prayer by Philip Brook, he says this. The purpose of prayer is not to get man's will done in heaven, but to get God's will done on earth. It's not to get man's will done on heaven, but God's will done on earth. Prayer does not change God. It changes us. Again, it lines our will with God's will. Isaiah says this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. My question to us is, if, if his thoughts are higher than ours, and he says we should pray about all things, and that persevering prayer finally brings us to his way of thinking, is that not what we'd want to do? Is that not what we'd want to do from the beginning, is pray his thoughts, to pray what he wants done because he, the righteous judge, he does know best. And speaking of prayer and fasting and seeking the will of God, there's, there's a man who many years ago said he was going to fast and pray until God wiped violence out of the United States and brought a awakening to the whole country. And he wasn't going to eat or drink until that happened. So what happened to him? Died of starvation, died of dehydration. What's the point? He was prayer and fasting because what was he doing? It was almost a, I'm not going to eat, I'm not going to drink until you do this, God. Though his intent may have been good in his thought, you got to pray and do the will and the mind of God. If we took it all sin, think about this, Christ had never been nailed to the cross because the people who nailed Christ to the cross had to sin to nail him to the cross. So if we know that we're supposed to pray, we're seeking this persevering prayer as, the, as, as, as she did in here so we can stand firm against the schemes of Satan, so we can stand firm and, and not be moved. So how do we pray these prayers? What do we need to do to learn to pray these kind of prayers? 
Three easy steps. And since it's not written on the screen, I made them all start with P for you. So they're all real easy, okay? The first one is, in order to learn to pray, you must first pray. The second one, pray. The third one, pray. John Laidlaw says this, the main lesson about prayer is just this. Do it, do it, do it. You want to be taught to pray? My answer is pray and never faint, and then you shall never fail. E.M. Bounds said, prayer is not learned in the classroom or church. It's learned in the closet. Guys, prayer is a conversation between us and God. There are great models to follow in the Bible. Jesus gave one of the best ones, and I'm not discrediting that. But I'm saying if you want to learn to pray, you got to get in there and start praying. It's like sitting around analyzing if you're going to go on a date for the first time. I know for many of us that's way off in the past. But you're not going to sit and read books on how to start a conversation with this potential person. Um, I know they're out there, but I mean, I didn't read any of them. I just had to go through the struggle of learning how to talk, you know, to somebody I didn't know. Here's the wonderful thing. Christ, God knows us. The, The hard part is us getting to know him. So the uncomfortableness or we don't know how to pray is many times because we're still learning, struggling through that part of it. But if we're going to learn to pray, we've got to pray. And let me also throw this in there. It's great to pray with your Bible. That way it helps keep you aligned to Scripture. So if we know that we're supposed to pray, and if I'm telling you the way to learn to pray is just to go pray, surely there has to be certain postures. Well, sure, the Bible talks about that. Glad you asked. It says... The postures of prayer are standing, bowing down, kneeling, falling on your face, lifting up your hands, stretching out your hands, sitting, lying down. I don't know if there's any more positions left to cover. The posture of prayer can be anything. Here's what's great. The more you pray and the more intimate your prayers with God, your external posture will start to reflect the internal posture of what you're praying for. There's no special, let me hold my leg this way like an antenna just in case... I need to do that so God can hear me. When to pray. Psalm, 50, Psalm 5 verse 17 says, pray morning, noon, and night. Psalm 88 one says, day and night. And 1 Thessalonians plus a host of others say, pray without ceasing. So if we're supposed to pray without ceasing all day long, what in the world are we supposed to pray for? Guess what? The Bible answers that too. Ready for this? Who to pray for? Kings, all in authority. Ministers, the church, all believers, all people. Masters, servants, children, friends, fellow countrymen, the sick, persecutors, persecuted, enemies, those who forsake us, those who murmur against God, our neighbors, everyone. We're to pray for everyone. If we're praying for everyone, when do we ever have a chance to stop praying? We're going to keep going. So why don't we pray? There's lots of reasons. Here's three big reasons, I think. One, we don't believe in its power. We pray and God has an answer to the prayer. James addresses, and there's many scriptures that address this. We pray either for the wrong reason. We pray in faith. We're praying for selfish reasons. You know what? Sometimes I think we just give up really fast. Another reason why is um, we don't have time to pray. We are very busy people, but here's some good news. I found this in Discover Magazine. I did not make this up, by the way. It says, are you religious? but find yourself with no time to pray? Then, Information Age Prayer, which is a website, has a solution you need. For just $4.95 a month, this online service will have your prayers said for you. It goes on to say that it, it tries to make the voice emulate the volume and speed of the average praying person. 
You can choose from Protestant, Catholic, Jewish, Muslim. And if you're unaffiliated, there's no problem. They've got options for you as well. Prices for the prayers do vary. I'm telling you, I didn't make this up. And I went and looked. The site is real. Um, You can subscribe to daily prayers, morning prayers, prayers for the sick, prayer for the children, which are the cheapest. Um, There's economical prayers. The company seeks, it says, to strengthen subscribers' connections with God, but makes this disclaimer. As with all prayer, the final results are up to God as everything follows his will. We make no claims to the effectiveness of this service. But they do end say, go ahead, make God's task easy today. I will tell you they did get one thing right in the site. Um, It said, can I get a direct peer-to-peer connection with God? It was in the FAQ section. It says, God is not your peer. Guys, we are busy. We're running all over the place. We're dropping kids off here, going shopping, going groceries. Uh, We're everywhere. Work. The list goes on. You know your list. You know how busy it is. And so, also, what do we do when we get home? Well, we need relax time, right? And we flip on the tube. Uh, The average American household, by the way, has a TV on four to six hours a day. I read also that teens send and receive 3,339 texts a month. I'm going to quote John Piper again. He said, Facebook and Twitter are going to be the evidence used against us when we get to heaven when we say we had no time to pray. A lot of truth to that. Here's the deal. We are very, very busy. But we make time for what we want to make time for. The average person in America prays three to four minutes a day, and that includes for lunch, dinner, breakfast. The average conversation, meaningful conversation with our children is about three and a half minutes. So it's about the same as prayer. Guys, it's hard also. We don't pray because it's hard. We don't make the time. And why don't we make the time? Because it's hard. How do we know this? Look at Paul says, I'll read it to you in Galatians 4.19. My little children for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. He's describing his prayer for them as going through childbirth. Thank God I am a man. I do not want to go through childbirth. I've watched my wife go through it, want nothing to do with it. I mean, let her. And I've watched her go through the unmedicated childbirth, which she's about to again. She's having a midwife, and we're going to have this. The last one was an unplanned home birth. So this one is a planned home birth. Makes sense, right? You accidentally have one at home. So the next one you plan to have at home, right? So as I watch her go through this, and then I think about Paul saying this, that's some serious verbiage here about what prayer is. He calls it laboring. It's hard work, but we are still called to do it, and we're still called to persevere in it. It takes patience. We are told over and over and over to wait upon the Lord. Don't go do. Wait. God seems slow to us, but he always answers right on time for him and his plan. He's never late for what he desires. He's always on time for what he has. Paul Cedar says, prayer spells the difference between doing things for God in our own strength or carrying on his ministry by the power of the Holy Spirit. Pastors are infamous for this. Church workers are, but we are in our own lives. Wouldn't it be better to and great for us to, instead of sitting around and think of ideas that we can do and then ask God to bless them, for us just to stop from the beginning with a clearer plate and say, God, what do you want us to do? For us in our neighborhoods, God, how can I reach my neighborhood? What is your plan for my neighborhood since you have me here? You don't live where you live by accident, by the way. You have a purpose, and we have to fulfill that purpose. 
I'm going to give us a chance to put that into action. I'm going to ask that our ushers pass out the cards that they have. And as they do this, I'm going to ask you to pray for three people. Think of three people. Ask God to bring to mind three people that you know that do not know Christ. Just right now where you are, pray, God, show me three people who do not know you. who have no relationship with you. When you get your cards, you're going to look at the side that says three for 365. Why they keep passing that out? Let me read this to you real quick. One day, George Mueller began praying for five of his friends. After many months, one of them came to know the Lord. Ten years later, ten years later, two others were converted. He's still praying for them daily. It took 25 years for the fourth one to be saved. But Mueller persevered in prayer for his final friend, even until Mueller's own death. And throughout those 52 years, 52 years he prayed for this person. He never gave hope that he would accept Christ. His faith was rewarded. For soon after Mueller's funeral, the last one was saved. 52 years. As you got your card, those three names that God brought to mind, I'm going to ask that you'd write them down on the side that says three for 365. For the next 365 days, one year, I'm challenging you to put this card, put it somewhere you will see it as a reminder. And for the next 365 days, pray for these three people. I said pray for them. I didn't tell you to go preach at them. I didn't tell you to invite them in church. And here's why. Because the more you pray for them, I would not doubt that God would use you to answer the very prayer that you're praying for them. And all of a sudden, you're going to find yourself, instead of being afraid of sharing the gospel with them, you're going to start looking for ways and surprising yourself. Why? Because the more you pray, the more you become in line with God's will and His plan. That's my challenge to you first. And then, uh, let me read one more quote by E.M. Bounds. Talking to men for God is a great thing, but talking to God for men is greater still. Talking to people about God is great, but us praying to God about those people is greater. Put the card over real quick. I got a 30 for 30 day challenge for those who want to take me up on it, and I hope all of you will. And the challenge is this. It says, for the next 30 days, I commit to pray for 30 minutes a day. I suggest picking a morning time, and here's why. What you do in the morning affects the whole day. When you seek God in the morning... It changes the whole day. If you don't seek them in the morning, it's so much harder to even desire to seek them by evening time. If you have to get up 30 minutes earlier, guys, prayer is more important than sleep. Go to bed earlier, turn the TV off earlier, whatever you got to do. But for the next 30 days, come uh, before God in prayer for 30 minutes. And then when it's over, if your life is not changed by that, come and tell me, and then I will pray for you. And also, it's going to the holiday season, so this would be a good time to pray as the stress of the holidays come about. Here's the last thing that I would like us to do. There, there's the Operation Christmas Child boxes here on the sides in the back of the room. It's exciting to be able to send uh, these things to the children, but even more importantly, to send the message of Christ and hope. So as a church, I would like for us um, to go to these boxes. And we read that you can stretch out your hands and, and, and today. We saw that you can do that. Um, if you can touch them, it's great. If not, reach out your hands over them. But I would like us, and matter of fact, I'll make it easy for you. Let's all stand because that would be the first step in walking. And then walk to one of these places, out the back or the front, where these um, Operation Christmas Child boxes are. And um, Pastor Randy, I'm going to let you close us out from there.